Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We have been moving through uh, the Gospel of Luke, looking at the songs of Christmas. We are in our second week, and uh, in our second week, we actually come to the first song. Uh, I decided uh, to start with the second song last week uh, simply because of uh, its emphasis on redemption, but also on the bigger picture of how um, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story really um, brings a, a, an opening to uh, this new reality that the, the years of silence have now passed and God is once again moving in Israel's midst. And so we looked at that last week and, and the, the expression of redemption and the hope of redemption that uh, uh, Jesus would be uh, bringing, has brought, continues to bring in our lives and in our experience. But this week we want to step back uh, just uh, one song, and look at the first Christmas carol ever sung. It is uh, the song of Mary. It's called the Magnificat uh, in uh, more uh, traditional uh, circles, so forth. It is uh, it is a powerful song. It is a it is a song of trust. And, and when I look at the story of Mary and and all the things that she encountered, all the things that she went through, and in these days surrounding uh, the expression of the song, I, I think of just the power of the trust that she clearly had to have. Okay, something that was uh, extraordinary, uh, to say the least. Back in uh, chapter one, verse thirty through thirty-three, the angel had visited her, and he had told her that uh, she had found favor with God, and that she will conceive and give birth to a son that they will name Jesus and he will be great and be called the son of the most high. And even though she was uh, uh, just a little bit puzzled by how this would all transpire, uh, given that she had not been with a man, given that she was a virgin, um, the angel said to her, all things are possible through God. And hearing that word, hearing that expression, she said what? Let it be. Let it be as you have said. Bring it on would be a more modern vernacular of her response in that particular exchange. And then she goes and she, she visits uh, Elizabeth, her relative. And Elizabeth is pregnant with John. And when Elizabeth interacts with Mary, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth says, my prophetic child has just identified your child. And this is a, this is a, a point of excitement and blessing. And she blesses Mary as well. And then Mary breaks out into song. She's excited about the message. She's excited about what is going on. And as, as I think about that, I, more and more, I think about how extraordinary that is. Because at this point, Joseph knows. At this point, probably her family know, knows. Um, I'm sure that wasn't a secret they were keeping from the family and so forth. And at this point, probably... The rumors and the sneers and the, oh, she's one of those types of conversations have begun. 
that she has already begun to, to reap some of the repercussions of being a virgin into a child. She's already begun to carry some of that burden, some of that weight that's going to accompany her throughout her life. It's not just going to find expression in that, but it's going to find expression as she walks alongside her child and she comes to discover, she comes to realize all the things he's going through as well. And then standing there at the foot of the cross many years later, watching her son die. What a burden. And yet in the midst of that burden, as it's just beginning here, the only thing she can express is praise. The only thing she can express is joy. The only thing she can express is trust. And that's such a, an important, I believe, reminder for us. Because, we, again, we look at our circumstance. We look at our, our situation here as a nation, as, as a planet. And there are so many things that can depress and overwhelm. There are so many challenges that we face. There are so many difficulties that we're called to confront and to, to deal with. And we have a decision to make. How are we going to respond to those difficulties? How are we going to deal with those hardships? I would hope that we will respond with trust. Trust in the one who made us. Trust in the one who is in control. The kind of trust that's expressed here is powerful. It is world-altering, in fact. E. Stanley Jones, famous Methodist preacher of the past, said that this particular song is the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. Those are big words. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, passed in fact, instructed missionaries in poverty-stricken India never to read the words of this song in public because he was afraid that the hope, the confidence that it expresses, the, 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 the transformation that it expresses would lead to riots in the streets. One mo modern writer said that when you read the lyrics of this carol, you sniff the powder of dynamite. Why? What, what do they mean? Where's the power that they're talking about here in, in these words and these expressions? It's in the trust that she has for God. Because when trust is evident, when trust is present, when trust is motivating us, there really is nothing that can stop us. We all know the verse. We all say the verse. If God be for us, who can be against us? We say that and we smile. Maybe we get a little bit of encouragement. But do we really live that? Does that really motivate our actions? 
I'm convinced if we were really sold out to that premise, to that reality, if God is for us, who? Who on earth? What on earth could be against us? If we were really sold out to that idea, we would transform the world. We would be sharing our faith. We would be living our faith. We would be engaging the present darkness that is so pervasive in our culture, and it would not be able to resist us. So this morning, I want to look at this song and and hopefully gain some, some insight into how we might grow in our trust of the one that Mary praises, the one that we serve. Follow along with me, if you will, as we look at this text this morning, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he is He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come this morning. God, I pray that as we move through this passage, through this text this morning, you would instill in our hearts and minds a confidence like that expressed by Mary. Not a confidence in our own abilities, in our own giftedness, in our own capacity to do or accomplish things, but Lord, a confidence in who you are. A confidence in what you might accomplish. A confidence in where you will lead us. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation. And if there be anyone here who's not experienced that salvation, that transforming work, God, guide and direct their hearts to you and help them to be responsive. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As you read Mary's words, you, you, see, you, see a, you see a kingdom that is different. A kingdom that's upside down. A, a kingdom where the lowly, excuse me, the lowly and the poor and the disenfranchised and the abandoned are on top. And those who are, are expressive of, of power and, and, and Pride and 
self-centeredness are on the bottom. At the heart of that expression, at the heart of that vision that, that Jesus would go on to, to further explain and express to us in the Sermon on the Mount, we see one very powerful element, and that is the power of grace. The first reason we trust is because of His grace. We've reflected before on the reality that God doesn't need us. He is self-sufficient. He is all-powerful. He is self-contained. He was fine. Glorious, wonderful, before creation was created. But he loves us. And he wants us. And there's power in that reality. There's freedom. There's strength. There's confidence in that. Because in every relationship we have, here on earth, there's always that question, what do they want from me? They tell me they love me. They tell me they're, they appreciate me. They, they tell me that I'm great, whatever it may be. What's their ulterior motive? Because living in the world we live, even the purest of loves that we express between each other is still somewhat tainted by sin. Somewhat tainted by pride. Somewhat tainted by selfishness. And so an ulterior motive is always going to be present. No matter how pure and wonderful that love could be. That's not to say that the love we share between each other is not beautiful and wonderful and powerful and transformative. It is. It is all those things. And, and you can have an authentic love, you can have an authentic appreciation for each other through Christ and, and in connection with each other with what Christ is doing in our lives. But it is to say that there, there's always that question. But God doesn't need anything from us. He's good without us. And so when He says I love you. And when he reaches out and he connects and when he, when, he, when he invades our life and he brings these gifts, these blessings, these realities into our lives, there's no ulterior motive. And we can trust that what he's given us is really for our benefit. Mary here even as I mentioned earlier, even as the, the rumors are starting to, to spread and the, the conversations, perhaps that's one of the reasons she stayed with Elizabeth for three months instead of staying in her hometown. Even as those things are starting to increase, she's what? I trust God. Why? Because I know God doesn't have any ulterior motives. He's doing this as an expression of His grace. 
And that comes out in the, in the words she utters here, verse 47. She refers to God as what? Her Savior. That's only uttered by someone who, who's in need of salvation. That's only uttered by somebody who's in need of rescue. That's only uttered by somebody who, who recognizes their woeful inability to meet the requirements of a relationship with God, of a, of a hope for a future. She knows God is the one who saves her. She refers to herself in verse 48 as, as a servant, as a slave. An expression, of, again, of, of unworthiness. I don't deserve this. I didn't earn this. And yet here I am. In verse 50, she talks about His mercy. How He reaches out and again gives to us what we don't deserve in one sense and doesn't give to us what we do deserve in another. And as you reflect upon that giving of Himself, as you reflect upon that saving, as you reflect upon our unworthiness, the power of grace becomes all the more evident. Again, grace is not a, a sacred shrug by God. Oh well, you messed up. Let's just move on. It's not Him looking at us and simply saying, ah, whatever. Don't worry about it. Grace is Him looking at us and seeing our sins, seeing our unworthiness, seeing our ineptitude, seeing our rebellion and our hatred and our anger for all things that are Him. And saying, I'm going to love them. And I'm going to change them. And I'm going to do things for them they can't possibly do for themselves. That's what's so amazing about grace. And as we live our lives, as we walk out into the world, and as we interact with people who, who hate us and mistreat us, and we experience those things that are so overwhelming and difficult, we can express love as well because as God has forgiven us, we can forgive others. And His grace dwelling in us becomes our grace reflected to others. And we can sing the song we sang a little while ago. He will hold me fast. I can trust that He's going to hold me. Because He's already done in my life. He's already done in, in my circumstances things I didn't deserve. He didn't do it to get something out of it. He did it because that's who He is. And if that's who He is, then that's who He's going to continue to be. And I can trust that. 
I can walk in that. I can function. I can prosper in that mentality, even in the midst of hardships. But alongside that grace, there's another element that I believe creates trust, and that is his power. In verse 51, she says, He has shown strength with his arm. That's a, that's a biblical term that talks about his power, his majesty, his, his victories. Back in Exodus, he says, I've, I've rescued Israel by my mighty right arm. Pulled them out of Egypt. Manifested his power. And here, I can't help but think that part of what's going through Mary's mind is, is of course, the history of God's saving acts and, and powerful events, but the very fact that there's a child in her at all. She'd not been with a man. Now, there are a lot of people today in, in religious circles and in other environments who say the virgin birth didn't happen, it doesn't change anything. That's not true. The virgin birth is a very powerful part of the message of Christmas, of the message of Christ's coming. It reflects to us that he is God and not just man. It reflects to us God's graciousness, him doing something that we could never do. And it reflects to us his power to do something beyond our imagination. To do something beyond what we would consider reasonable necessary. The creator of this world is at work once again. And you see this expression here. You see this power here. You see this playing out in terms again of trust. I have a very vivid memory I guess it's partially vivid. Because I had to ask my wife this morning which kid it was. I guess I'm losing it on some respects. But I remember walking. I believe it was at church. And I was on I was on the sidewalk and there was a raised area. And the child, we believe it was Lauren was up there, and she goes, Hey, Dad, catch! And she jumps. Didn't give me any warning. Didn't do anything. No no notice at all. Just, Hey, Dad, catch! And there she was. And fortunately, I caught her. But I remember asking, I said, Why on earth would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you just jump without any warning? Because I knew you'd catch me. Because you're dad.
She just did it. To a lot of children, their dads are the strongest picture they have. Physically, at least. Moms are generally a little stronger, a lot stronger in, in all the other ways. But physically, man, there's, there's things that dads just, there's nothing that dad can't do. I mean, we've, we've all heard the exchange, my dad can beat up your dad. And I, re- I remember my dad through that same lens. There was nothing my dad couldn't do. He was seemingly invincible. And because of that, when we went places, I wasn't scared. Nobody was going to mess with me as long as I was with him. It was good. Why can't we have that kind of confidence in God? Because God is much bigger than any earthly dad. God is much greater than any human entity, organization, group, manifestation, anything you can think of here. God's bigger than. And the Bible, as it, it portrays His power, it, Zechariah pulled on this a little bit last week, it portrays Him as as speaking to the seas and the things of the sea, the, the creatures of the sea being nothing but play toys to him. Why? Because the creatures of the sea in their mindset were the most powerful entities in their world. They were the most frightful things. They were the most scary things. They were the things that nobody messed with. But to God, they were just play toys. And if the scariest thing we can think of is just a, a toy to him, what does that say about everything else we face? In his power, we can have trust. His grace is good. It changes us. It transforms us. It empowers us in many ways. And it it reaches out to us in our unworthiness. But if it's not accompanied by a great power, it may not necessarily instill confidence. I've let my children down in my abilities in the past. Not because I was dishonest, but because I just wasn't able to, to do what I thought I could do. But God is able to complete that which He begins. God is able to fulfill that which He promises. God is able to accomplish that which He communicates. And so we can trust Him. The third element is that we can trust him because of his integrity. In verses 44 and 45, she does what? She rehearses, just as Zechariah would do in his song, she rehearses God's promises. She rehearses the things that God has said. He has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance and in his mercy, he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham. When God said, through you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He's now fulfilling that promise in this child 
that's in her womb. When God said to Eve, or to the serpent, rather, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. That was a promise that's going to be fulfilled by this child. When God said to David, one will never fail to sit on your throne, he's fulfilling that in this child that's in her womb. When God said through Malachi that one's coming that will remove the ban, the curse, the shame of Israel from their presence. He's fulfilling that now in a child in her womb. God is a man of his word. There was a, a bumper sticker that used to be real popular. First time I remember seeing it was in the 70s. God said it. I believe that that settles it. I would say that that's partially true. Because the reality of it is, God said it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not. Because God is a man of His Word. He's truthful. And in a world where we We have so many doubts about what we hear. I, I read a, a, a headline. I won't go into what it was or anything. But I read a headline just uh, this morning. And I went in and, and started to read the story. And the story said something almost completely opposite of what the headline said. I'm like, why do people do that? We live in a world that, that's just full of lies. And, and we live in a world where, where our word means nothing anymore. We just shrug it off. Well, that's just the way people are. But if we can't trust what we hear, how do we know what to do? How do we know where to go? How do we know which direction to go and, and what actions to take in response to what we're encountering? I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, a, a perfect man, but one of, the, one of the goals of my heart is to be considered a man of integrity. That when I say something, I follow through. And one of my models for that is former pastor of First Baptist Dallas, George W. Truett. Back in the early 20th century, Southern Baptists got together and they created what was called the 75 Million Campaign. Their goal was to, to raise pledges and funds totaling $75 million that would then fund all the various agencies, all the various activities, all the, all the things that they had going on. It was the very first time Southern Baptists had any, have ever tried anything like this. And they organized and they planned and, and they, they got very, uh, they got on the radio, they, they got 
involved in all the various churches. Pastors were going to preach basically the same message on the same day. Everything was set up. And they carried it out, and sure enough, the, the, the pledge week came, and they had $95 million pledged. This is, we're talking the 1915, 1920, right in there. $95 million pledged. And they got excited. Money started to come in a little bit. And the agency started planning according to what had been pledged. They started budgeting according to what had been pledged. But we all know what happened in the 1920s, right? The Depression started. And it hit the South first with the, the farming depression. And then played out, obviously, in the stock market and so forth a little bit later. So guess what? Southern Baptists only ended up actually taking in about $52 million. But they had budgeted according to $90 million. And just like everybody else, they now had these loans and these debts and these other things that they had to pay back. And so they were working to try and renegotiate. They, they, wanted, they wanted to pay their debts. They, they didn't want to lessen the, the payback or anything, although some banks were willing to do that. We'll take a smaller amount if it'll just settle the debt or whatever. They, they wanted to do that, but they, but they, needed, they needed some time. And so they went throughout the Southern Baptist Convention, and they got all sorts of business leaders, pastors, so forth, to sign a document guaranteeing the loan, the, the loan they were doing to refinance to be able to pay things out. And they went to the bank, and they said, here, here are the names. And, and the, the banker looked at it, he looked at all the names, looked at all, all the, the dignitaries, all the, the people throughout the South that were signed there, and, and they said, we, we're not going to give you the loan. But we will if you could get George Truett's signature on this. If he guarantees the loan, we know the loan will be paid. And he did, and they did, and they paid it off within the, the next 10 years. Every penny. But imagine being the kind of person with that kind of integrity that dozens of names don't matter, but your one name makes a difference. That's the kind of integrity I want to have. And that's the kind of integrity we need to have if we're going to make a difference in this world where integrity, where truthfulness has gone out the door. And I want us to understand that that's the kind of integrity that God has, even greater than that. We started our service this morning singing Joy to the World. It's a favorite Christmas carol for many. Um, for many years, I don't know if it still is, for many years it was Jonathan's, my youngest. It was he, every year. When are we going to sing Joy to the World? It's not Christmas till we sing Joy to the World. But if you paid attention to the lyrics or if you know the history, you know that song is not actually about the first coming. 
It's actually about Christ's return. If you look at it, it talks about him establishing his kingdom. It talks about him removing the tears and all. It's, it's about the second coming, not the first. And we sang Lion and the Lamb, which is obviously straight out of Revelation. And we read a passage from Revelation. We had all of these reflections on the second coming. Why are we singing these songs that reflect so much about the second coming? Because you can't truly appreciate the first coming without the hope of the second. If he's not coming back, if he's not changing things, if he's not transforming the world, if he's not bringing, ushering in eternity, then his first coming was nothing more than a blip on the screen of history when some pretty amazing things happened that make us feel good. It's more than that. Because God is a God of integrity. His first coming is a picture. It's a, it's a hope. It's a, it's a planting of a seed toward His second coming. If He fulfills His promises of the Old Testament, He will fulfill His promises of the New. And we can stand in that. And we can rejoice in that. And we can trust in that. And Mary's song here of trust and confidence in her future can become our song of trust and confidence in our future. That God is going to be faithful to what He said He's going to be faithful to. He went... He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again. And as we sing his praises, as we sing these songs about his first coming, it's my prayer that we'll do so with the trust of the second coming. And my question is simply this Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Does it excite you? Does it embolden you? Do you trust in what he's promised? If you're a believer, it should be changing everything about everything you do. But if you're here in this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never come to that place in your life where you have surrendered to His authority, to His position, to His place, to where you've let the Spirit come in to transform you, to make you a new creature, to make you more like who you were created to be, to begin that journey. relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then the picture, the understanding, the perspective of a second coming is not an expression of, of hope. And it's certainly not going to find expression in trust 
It's one you hope doesn't happen. Because at that point, you will be constrained to the fires of hell. Separated from God for eternity. And I don't say that to scare anybody. I say that because I don't want that for anybody. And you deserve to know that those are the, that is the consequence of not having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you need to know that there is deliverance from that. There's hope for that. And it's not just about that. It's about a new life. It's about a new confidence. It's about a new trust. It's about a future that's full of God's abundance. So we invite you to that. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know what that means. Find someone after the service. Find me. I'll be here. Maybe somebody you came with. Visit with them. Ask them, what does it mean? What does it look like to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you. You are so good. You are so strong. You are so gracious. You are so true. God, help us to live in that. Help us to walk in that. Lord, as people that you've redeemed, that you have transformed, I pray that myself and my fellow believers here today would walk with trust. and would engage a culture that desperately needs to see the light we shine. And God, I do pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you, who does not have a relationship with you, that right now, during this prayer, during this time, that they would be surrendering their hearts to you, that they would be coming to you in just a simple expression of surrender. And that they would follow through with that by sharing that with the people around them. Go with us, God. Help us to walk in the confidence of who you are. In Christ's name I pray.